Okay, so this semester we're doing a really cool theme, and I'm, we're really excited about it. It's called Hyperlinked. And uh, i got to tell you a story before we get to the actual uh, the meat of the passage, because it just fits so well. So I really believe that I like spicy food. Who likes spicy food in here? Okay. And I, th I thought I liked spicy food until last year I became very good friends with some of our amazing Nigerian friends. And, uh, and, I, and our friend Martins, uh, who lived in the campus house last year, he invited Alex and I uh, to say, when in Nigeria you say, come join me, you have to sit down and eat. Right? Amen? So I did. I sat down and I started eating uh, this, what looked like spaghetti to me. And he said it had a little bit of pepper. I'm thinking like that black stuff you put on green beans. No. That was not, I was eating this food, my eyes were watering, my nose was leaking, uh, and I, I, was, I was continuing to eat it, and, and the inside of my mouth and my body was like catching on fire. And I thought, I'm going to die right here. And it was actually not that black pepper, it was African cayenne pepper, which uh, really did not do me very well. Now, Daniel uh, lives in our campus house now. His mom from Nigeria made me some not as spicy and it was perfect. So your mom's the best. But perhaps I, I think when I'm thinking about the Old Testament, I feel like I do when I was eating that Nigerian dish that set my head on fire. Like you're reading the Old Testament. It's the first 39 books of the, of the Bible. The Old Testament, it makes up 70 of the content in your Bible. It makes up 75% of the Bible. And it has so many good teachings and narratives in it. But then you get to like the law codes, which a bunch of really, really crazy things in there. And the polygamy and the violence. Many of us are like in a place like I was with the cayenne pepper. We're like, I don't like this. It's too hot. It's too strange. It's too odd. It's too weird. And then we put the Bible down and we're like, that's 75% of the Bible is cayenne pepper in my mouth. Making me cry. Making my eyes water. Making me feel uncomfortable. I think many of us have felt that way about the Old Testament many times, if we're honest. We say that all the time. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. And if you actually did read your Bible, you would have a lot of questions for us. So we hope that you do read your Bibles and, and ask us those tough questions. We'll say we don't know, usually, but just kidding. But we've also learned that conservative estimates have said uh, that there's over 300 instances of Jesus being mentioned in the Old Testament that he had fulfilled in his life, which is just amazing. In his ministry, the coming kingdoms predicted in the Old Testament, Jesus himself, he like fluidly quotes the Old Testament like it's just normal. Like the, these really wild scenes, and you're like, he's just like quoting that, that Jonah did get swallowed by a giant fish, you know? He, he just assert, asserts it as historical, okay? And so this just really opens up my mind and gets me, I, I've always been a questioner, so uh, this is what we want to cover this semester. Why is this in the Bible? And what we want to do, and Alex has done a ton, most of the heavy lifting on this in our life group materials, he's in charge of our life groups as we write our own material, he, he does. And uh, we want to get an understanding of why the Old Testament is there and then how it links to the New Testament. Because over and over and over and over again in the New Testament, the Old Testament is quoted over and over and over again. And so it's so good for us to understand why it's there. So tonight, it's about connecting a toddler with a tyrant and then a team with a tyrant 
which leads us to a compassionate king. And this little toddler we're talking about here tonight, he's the one that gets me out of bed every single morning when I want to get up. Pretty much every morning at 6 o'clock when the dog wakes me up and want to go outside. I do not want to get up. And this little toddler uh, keeps me going. So we're going to open with our first scripture tonight. Um, Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 18. The flight to Egypt. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Herod kills the children. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and, all, and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. I got to get, get you on my Bible app, reading that. Okay, link one is our toddler and a tyrant. Joseph and Mary have finally, by the way, this was not part of the Christmas story when I was a kid with the, I mean, I, later I learned about it, but that wasn't in Sunday school. Joseph and Mary had finally settled down in Bethlehem after quite the adventurous time of the coming of their baby, baby Jesus. And they are visited by these magi from the east who brought three gifts to the toddler Jesus. And this visit was a major threat to Herod's Messiah complex. And the angel tips them off to Herod's heinous plan to murder a mass amount of baby boys. And that, that just, that's infuriating when you see that. And this guy was a megalomaniac. Uh, in, the, in every sense of the word. If you look it up about Herod, you can go on a giant rabbit hole with that. We don't have time. But when life is chaotic, it can be hard to see anything good coming out of it, right? Some of you saw some uh, syllabi today that you feel that way, you know. <laughs> You're like, I can't see any good coming out of this chaos. And we are more likely to cuss than to see life-altering hope and affirmation from God. I, I think all of us have been there. Like, where you're just so confused and so overwhelmed and so sad and so angry, you can't see straight. Am I the only one? Amen, somebody? Yes. We've all been there. And I think in these times, we see Mary and Joseph, how they ran for their baby's life. And in doing so, they ran away, fleeing away to Egypt. You know, did they think, we're fulfilling Messianic prophecy? You know, no, they're trying to keep their baby alive. That's why they fled, and in the process, they fulfilled a messianic prophecy, one of the 332, or however you count it. Um, so they fulfilled a, not only a messianic prophecy, but a messianic prophecy that had been prophesied by Hosea 750 years before Jesus' birth. I mean, this is why the Bible is so amazing. It may be complicated and hard to understand sometimes, but it is legit, historically. I don't know how else to say that. But Matthew, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he masterfully does this hyperlink where he connects Jesus' life to Israel, pointing that his this new kingdom. You know, Israel is the most frustrating thing to read about in the Old Testament, amen? It's like, 
uh, you know, time and time again, they, they get delivered, then they sin, then they get in bondage, and then they go sin, and it goes back in exile and deliverance and deliverance and exile over and over again. You're just so frustrated. And finally, Jesus comes on the scene, and in your life groups next week, you'll talk about this, but he is the, the way, the successful version of is, the Israelite story. That's from Alex's material. So yes, a toddler did avoid a murderous plot of a tyrant named Herod, but there's so much more in the text. Jesus and his parents, they're showing us that there's an ordering of hope even in the midst of chaos. When we're discouraged and we're downhearted and we think, is there anything worth getting out of bed for? Jesus wants to answer that question every morning. Every single morning you get up, Jesus wants to answer that. And he says, yes, there is. And this semester, when things feel like they're spiraling out of control, remember that it was out of Egypt that the father called his son, and he's still in the business of delivering. Check out this verse. It's one of my favorites from Hebrews 12, 3. It says, Consider him who endured such hostility, uh, different translation, from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted or lose heart. So the first thing we're talking about tonight is that there is hope in chaos. And... Uh, Myra is going to share her story of what's been going on in her life and uh, plug her music later. Shameless plug. Well, thank you, Andrew. I'm excited to speak tonight because I feel like the Lord has been working in my life this past summer. So what better way to share it than the first day of school? So we love that. Um, but anyways, my name is Myra Kivett. I'm technically a senior here. I'm um, finishing up my last year in the Applied Communication Master's program, so excited and nervous and all the things, but I'll get to that part here in a little bit. Um, but yeah, I graduated in December with my bachelor's in communication studies and a minor in music, so if anyone has any questions about that, feel free to ask me about that later. Um, but yeah, that's kind of just me in a quick nutshell. Um, but kind of something I wanted to talk about tonight kind of ties into the thought of this message of chaos. And um, we were all kind of talking about it when we were doing like our pre-planning meetings and everything like that. Um, but it's this idea that Jesus not only saves, but he leads. Let that soak in because you will want to hold on to that this semester. Write it down, make a little note. Jesus not only saves, but he leads. And, you know, I think that's something really important to, to just kind of understand going into the school year because there's definitely going to be times, I hate to break it to you, um, that you're going to feel lost, stressed, or, you know, anything else, all the emotions. Um, but there's going to be times where you're really going to need to rely on the Lord to lead you because the reality is we can't do it ourselves. Um, and that is kind of where I'm at in my life right now. Um, so I re recently graduated, and obviously, you know, I get all the questions, oh, so what are you going to do? I'm like, well, don't worry. I have one more year left, which, you know, I say it's a year, but then it's, like, actually, like, seven months, but, like, you know, in Matthew Roundup, so it counts, you know. <laughs> um, but, yeah, you know, there's a lot to think about. I mean, whether you're a freshman or a senior, you know, you have a lot to think about moving forward, and that's kind of where I'm at right now. Um, and, you know, while I know God has me and everything like that, I like to plan. I'm kind of a planner. And, you know, just in case his plan, like, doesn't work out, which it always does, you know, but, like, just in case, I like to make my plan. Um, but Proverbs 16, 9 says, We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. 
which I think is something really important to hear the first day of school of the semester. Um, but yeah, so kind of like I said, like all of this feels like a lot, lot easier said than done. Like, oh, trust God, like, you know, that's all you have to do. And it kind of reminds me of like those like trust God bro shirts. Has anyone ever seen those? Maybe, no, getting some nods, okay. Um, but yeah, like you see it and you're like, yeah, I trust God bro, you know, and then life hits you and you're like, oh, I guess it's not as easy as the shirt said, you know, um, but yeah, you're like, oh, if only it was that easy, you know, um, but this summer, I kind of struggled a lot with patience, just in so many areas, um, to, and just to kind of name a few, like, I struggled with Achilles tendonitis, I'm a big runner, so I just, like, being stuck and not being able to run was, like, bothering me so much, I'm like, God, come I just want to run, 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 you know? So that was an area. Um, I'm a musician, as Andrew mentioned, and you know, like I've been working for years, working really hard on all this music. I feel like it's something that, you know, God has put me on the earth to do, and it's just like, I haven't seen a lot coming out on the end of that, so that's been an area that I've really struggled to kind of trust God with, and um, my younger sister, she's a freshman at Purdue, started her first day today, already went back home, but. <laughs> That's another story. Um, but for anyone who has siblings, you know that they can definitely test your patience for sure. And just I think there were a lot of emotions, you know, going into college for her. So she was a little snippy with us this summer. And not to mention she likes to steal clothes and I think some of my clothes made their way to Purdue. <laughs> so testing my patience in lots of areas. Um, but there was one night in particular and I wrote it down because I was like journaling in my Bible and it was July 6th, and I just felt so defeated. And I'm not the kind of person to like feel defeated all the time, but I just like got home from work, it was a long day, I'm like, ugh. I'm like, life sucks, it doesn't, you know, you gotta take a step back, see the situation for as it really is, but I was like, I feel so defeated, you know? And I'm like, all I wanna do is shut off the lights and go to bed and be done, you know? And I'm like, I was reading Romans at the time, and I was like, okay, I have two options, go to bed or read the verse, which will literally take me five minutes. And I'm like, okay, fine, I'll read it. <laughs> so I opened up my Bible and um, I opened to Romans 4.18, which I'm gonna open to now. Sorry, I'm like balancing like two books on my lap, so give me a second. It's okay, but thank you. I'll get there eventually. Okay, here we go. Um, so pretty much in Romans, I feel like 418 was just kind of unrelated to what I had been reading in the book, which was really ironic. It's like God knew what I needed to hear that night, and it was the night that I didn't want to read my Bible the most. So pretty much, as I said, I was really struggling with patience in just so many areas. And um, 418 talks about the story of Abraham and Sarah, which for those of you who aren't familiar with it, um, Abraham was a really old man in the Bible. His wife was pretty old too. And God was like, you're gonna have a baby. And they're like, us, like we're kind of old, bro, you know? Um, so anyways, um, they're like, I don't know. Like Abraham was faithful. Sarah was kind of like nagging on him. And she's like, you need to go have a baby with someone else. And he's like, mm. she's like, go do it. So he goes and has a baby with um, the Hey, yes, Hagar, who's the servant lady. Um, 
But anyways, eventually the Lord, you know, works through his promise and they have a baby of their own and everything like that. But that whole story just spoke to me because it's like, you know, sometimes I feel like Sarah, like, let me just go do it right now. You know, like, why do I need to wait? Like the Lord has his promises, but like, you know, he's going to work through the situation. Let me just manhandle it myself. Um, but the reality is that we need to be more like Abraham. You know, we need to trust God's process and know that, you know, he's going to provide. And I think that that just smacked me in the face that night. I was like, dang God, you know, it's just like, that was exactly what I needed to hear in that instant. And I feel like, you know, I was talking about it with my good friend, Hannah over here. She's a sweetie. If you guys get the chance to meet her, go say hi after. Um, but we were talking a few weeks ago and she was like, you know, the Lord never screams at you, he whispers. And I was like, girl, that was so good. <laughs> um, but yeah, so pretty much I was kind of just, you know, hit in the face by all of that stuff. And um, I'm like, man, if I wasn't in the word and I wasn't praying, God would have never revealed that to me. And I think that's something else that's really important to know going into this semester is that if you're not in the word and you're not praying, life's going to smack you in the face. I mean, because when you're in the word, it smacks you in the face anyways. So may as well have the armor of God, you know. Um, but yeah, and it's like if you're not praying about it and putting your faith in him, God can't really lead you. I mean, he can do what he can, but if you're not out there and, you know, reading his word, you're not going to see it, you know. Um, so that kind of goes into something else that I wanted to just mention. One, Thessalonians. I say that right? Okay, cool. 5, 16 through 18 calls us to rejoice always and pray without ceasing. So that's something else to kind of keep in mind too. Um, and it's funny because a few days after I'd kind of read through Romans uh, 4, 18, I literally took a picture of it, made it my lock screen just to, you know, not forget what God tried to tell me, you know. Um, but a few days later at church, we had like a guest pastor and he said, write down your biggest fear. And I was like, Ugh bro, which one? You know, I was like, oh, not making it in music, not finding like a hot man of God, you know, all these things, the dark, you know, lots of fears, whatever. Um, and then the pastor said, okay, is that where you're trusting God the least? And I was like, oh, you really just had to come at me like that. And I'm sure everyone else was thinking it too, you know, but I'm like, wow, asked me my biggest fear and then said, is that where you're trusting God the least? I was like, ouch. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think taking a step back and just having people around you that tell you things like that really allow you to see where you are, you know, and where you're trusting God the least and maybe where you are trusting God. You know, afterwards, he was like, write down three areas, you know, where God has you and pray through that and pray through your fears. And I think, you know, just different things like that helps a lot. Um, but, yeah, the devil, or the devil, you know, attacks us in the areas where we trust God the least um, Luke 4.13 says, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So the devil knows each and every one of our fears. And, you know, when we creep into these areas, um, you know, where we just aren't trusting God, the devil will use that um, because our weapons or because our weakness is the devil's greatest weapon. So, you know, when I'm impatient about life, eh, the devil uses that against against me to make me anxious about the future, which I feel like is a lot of what I was experiencing this summer and just coming into this semester. Um, but Deuteronomy 31.8 says, the Lord himself goes before you 
and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Which that's great. We like not feeling discouraged at the beginning of the semester, right? He's always there for us. And if we're in the word and we're trusting him, it makes it easier for him to lead us through these instances. Um, and just something else I kind of wanted to read real quick. Um, as the scripture says, there's a time for everything. Uh, Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8 is what I'm going to read real quick. Once I get there. Okay, 3, 1 through 8. For everything there's a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up. Good to remember. A time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. So I think that's just a really good reminder going into the school year because you're not going to be on cloud nine all the time. You know, there's a time for everything and every instance in our life gets us to where God wants us to be. So I think that's just something really important to remember. You know, we're not going to be perfect in every season and that's okay, but trusting God gives us hope and he can lead us in those circumstances. And this is so ironic. I just wanted to share this. I was looking up a verse um, to try to kind of end everything with and it was literally on the page of my journal. I looked it up and then I was like, oh, it's right there on the next page. It's crazy how God does that. Um, but it says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not on thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. So I just wanted to leave you guys with that tonight. So thank you. Love that. So Myra, you want to read? Uh, you can just read it off the screen if you want. Yeah. Cool, that works. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the balls and burning offerings to idols. Is it balls or bills? Well, if you talk to Alex Henneke, it's Baal, technically, but I think we say Baal usually. doesn't matter. Well, it does kind of, but whatever. So link number two, a team and a tyrant. So we had a toddler and a tyrant, now we got a team and a tyrant. So the original origin story of Israel, uh, Israel's tipping point for growth was their 400 years. 400 years uh, in Egypt as slaves. They entered as a small clan of 70 and exited a robust 1.5 million in change. I'm not sure I wasn't there. But their exodus from Egypt was a miraculous event. Probably one of the most miraculous events in human history outside of Jesus' resurrection. Um, so we have God leading them out with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. And Yahweh led them out in spite of the tyrant Pharaoh who had plans to continue his enslavement of God's chosen people. And God, God's chosen team was always for the nations. It wasn't for that small little place in Israel. It's always the promise to Abraham was not just for Abraham. It was for the nations. We can look that up. 
So still, God's love, his ahav, it says here, for his people, his desire for them was too strong to leave them there. The Passover lamb had been slain, and they were out. You know, it's like the blood was dripping from the doorpost of the lambs that were slain of the Passover, and then they're heading out into uh, actually the wilderness to wander. But even after God had freed Israel, they continued to struggle in their sin, like we said earlier, and they resisted the rock-solid truth that God was communicating through his prophets. See, I think this is good to remember that God wasn't just calling his people away from the slavery in Egypt, this tyrant named Pharaoh. He was also inviting them to a new way to live. Now, I think we, we got to hear that tonight. New way to live, like Myra was talking about. Unlike the other, any other people on the earth, Yahweh kept calling. They kept calling. And I, you got to this person in your life, they keep calling. They keep calling. And you keep screening the call. They'll get the... No, just kidding. Uh, hopefully. Um, but, you know, that's what Israel kept doing. Send to voicemail. Send to voicemail. Send to voicemail. And they kept doing this over and over and over again. How disrespectful. Jesus coming out of Egypt was just another reminder of what true salvation looks like. He didn't die on the cross just to pull us out of a pit and put us on a broad place and set us there. That's what a lot of us think that Jesus has done for us. But he did do that. He put us out into that broad place. But he also wants to lead us forward into a brand new life. And I think this is good to remember that discipleship is not an internship. It's not like this, you know, he, he just sets you up there and it's just this short period of time. This is for our lives. We will be following Jesus for the rest of our lives. We're going to be 98 years old singing worship songs in the nursing home, preaching the gospel till our, our voices literally give out. Amen? And this is, this is a lifelong commitment. And when we say with the good confession, I accept him as my Lord and Savior. When many of us were baptized, we said that right before the baptism. In this, we say that we want Jesus to be our leader. We don't want the tyrants to be our leaders. We want Jesus to be our leader. There are too many tyrants in this world, and I've got a lot of thoughts on that. We don't, we don't have time, but this is a new hope for life. So we have it for the chaos, and now we have it for our entire lives, and Jacob's going to share what God's been. It has to do with uh, some cooking, right? All right. Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Jacob. If you haven't met me yet, I'd love to meet you afterwards. Um, but much like Myra, I'm also a senior. Um, this will be my final year here at IEPUI. Uh, I'm studying psychology uh, with a minor in environmental science, which is an odd combo, I know. Um, but just like Myra, I'm kind of in that same boat in my life where um, we're close to graduating, we're close to closing this chapter in our book of life and with that comes the questions what are you going to do where are you going to work where are you going to live like what's next um and at, right now i really don't know and that's been something i've been wrestling with the past year or so and andrew knows all about it and then we've talked a lot and prayed a lot about what i want to do and where i'm going to go and he, he does yes but <laughs> Um, but yes, that's something that I've been struggling with. And so when we decided to come and meet about uh, our planning for this night of worship, um, and we went over some of the main points, um, something that stood out was just that hope through chaos and then that hope for life. And so it reminded me of a story that has just recently happened this year. Um, 
my mom is a director of a Christian preschool um, on the west side of Indy, uh, which is a part of a greater uh, Christian school system that's starting to form up now. Um, but for the last three or four years, she's had a, a cook who has been cooking the meals for the preschool for breakfast and for lunch. And uh, he's been a, gr a great cook. And in January, he turned in his two weeks. And so um, at the time, my mom was like, it's all right. We'll, we'll find a new cook, and then we'll, we'll just keep going. But um, the, that week that we originally thought turned into weeks, and then it turned into months where there was no cook. And so uh, we're sitting here praying for a cook. I'm stepping in. I'm helping out here and there, um, just trying to help out. Um, and so Andrew and I have been praying. My mom and I have been praying. We're, we're all just praying because I'm having to step in there and help. My mom's having to step in there and help. And it's just chaos for everybody, right? This whole time we're like, God, why aren't you sending somebody? Like, we need somebody to, to do this so that we're not stuck with this responsibility. And so um, I want to say it was the end of April, maybe May, around the time school gets out. Um, I was done with all my classes. And uh, I was working at the preschool. I kind of stepped in as the cook for a little bit. Um, and then I realized all this time we've been praying for a cook. Maybe I'm that person for now, right? I don't know what I want to do with my life. I'm not expected to know what I want to do with my life. And the, the crazy thing is, like, I don't have to have it set in stone right now. I can do one thing right now and then in a year be doing something completely different, right? And so I decided maybe this is what God has been waiting on. Maybe this is why we haven't found a cook in all these months. And so I decided to step in as the cook full time for this next upcoming year. And so through this whole experience, I've realized that God has been trying to teach me something. And this whole time I was very resistant to the idea of stepping in because who wants to be a cook at a preschool, right? Like, no offense to cooks at preschools, but, <laughs> but I mean, I am one now. So, um, but yeah, nobody really thinks, oh, I'm going to graduate or I'm going to be a cook at a preschool. Um, but that's where I'm at in my life, and I realize that God has put me in that position for a reason right now, and that's to show that, you know, it's okay to not have everything figured out because ultimately God does. And even though we might not know what it is he does and even if it's not what we want to hear it's what he is going to let happen and so this whole time I was so resistant to the idea of being this cook but I realized that that was God's plan all along and so right now I'm the cook at a preschool while I finished my last year of college and going forward I've realized that it's not something that you need to be scared of going into the future, not knowing what you want to do, where you want to go, what you're gonna, your life is going to look like, because that can change really fast, and God knows what's going to happen. And so I realized that instead of me spending all this time worrying and kind of fretting over, oh, what am I going to do? How am I going to do this? I realized that I should go to the one person that knows for a fact, and that is God. And without his guidance, kind of like what Myra was saying, He's going to lead us, right? So without that, that guidance from him leading, we're going to have no idea. And instead of sitting in the dark, kind of being on your own with no hope for the future, why not just go to the one person who can give you that hope, right? It's so easy. 
You just got to go to God because he knows exactly what your life is going to look like. And so throughout this whole experience, I've realized that it's okay. I'm going to be okay because God has got it all figured out. And so I want to leave that with you tonight. Whether you're an incoming freshman or you're in the same boat as me, you're getting ready to graduate this upcoming year. God has a plan for your life. And even if you don't know it, he certainly does. And so it's, it's nothing to be scared of. But it is important that you go to him and that you ask for guidance because it's only through him that you're going to get that answer. Thank you. And I hope you're paying attention to their stories because if we, we always think, well, once I get my job and I get married and we have kids and I whatever and do something else in the future that sounds better than what I'm doing now, then I'll be happy, then I'll have hope, then I'll want to get out of bed in the morning. No, no, no. Let's do that now. Let's, want to get, let's, let's work on that now, the reason for living, the reason why we're here. If we can't get that figured out now, getting into a different situation in a different geographical location in a marriage or something isn't going to make it any better. It's actually going to make it worse. So let's get that figured out now because Jesus really, he has a plan. All right, so th let's uh, do our last link. I'll do this one since it has some weird names, Jacob. I, I, I'll have mercy on your soul. All right, last, last passage. Uh, we're running a little bit later than we usually do because the, the we had so many of you that it took longer to feed all of you than we thought, which is a great problem to have. Okay, how can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. Man. So link three is a compassionate king. Think for a second about the makings of a horrible parent. Now, I know some of you, I don't know, actually, I don't know some of your parents, but I know about them, and they, I'm not a big fan of them. But... Uh, some of us have, don't have great parents, okay? A horrible parent is someone who uses manipulation. They are passive-aggressive in their communication and in everything else. They're distracted. They're abusive. They're inconsiderate. They have a lack of follow-through. And ultimately, a bad parent is someone who is selfish. And I, I had, had the wedding I helped out this yesterday, um, I can't go into the details, but I wanted to have some words with some parents, but I did not. I was biting my tongue. It was not the context. Um, anyway, but our Heavenly Father, He is the perfect parent. He is the perfect parent. In the time of Hosea, northern Israel had forsaken Yahweh, the Lord. And even though they had Elijah and Elisha trying to wake them up, they would not listen. And here, though, we see that they weren't going to be cast away forever in our passage. They're not going to be cast away forever. God wasn't going to completely forget about them. It wasn't in his nature to do so. Jesus Christ was coming. God already saw it. My, I'm sending my son. So God, think about this tonight in that passage. God will not coerce. He will not force himself on you. Okay. God will continue to communicate. Even if you don't want him to communicate, like Myra said, Hannah, that's prophetic. That's good. Thank you. 
He will continue to communicate. God is faithful with follow-through. Now listen to the passage and what, what Hosea said. He said, how can I give you up? Never going to give you up. Never going to let you. Okay, we're going to sing this? We're going to go for it? We went a little higher than I wanted to. Okay. All right. Thank you, Meyer. You just went up like four octaves. Okay. How can I, how can I give you up? I don't want to give you up. God, I don't want to give you up. He gave his only son to not give you up. This is all the way 750 years before Jesus was born. How can I give you up? How can I surrender you? This is what God says about Israel. Uh, Jezebel, Ahab, nasty people making bad decisions. This is what he says. My heart is turned over with me. All my compassions are kindled. All of them are. All of my compassions. You imagine God saying that about those people and saying that about us today? Doesn't that make you feel loved? I hope it does. All the mistakes all the things that we've done that have been nasty, that we, they have not been in accordance with God's will. He says, my compassions are kindled. My heart is overturned with, over in me. And the word for compassions here is this really interesting Hebrew word. And it's kind of a, a, like a, a version of another Hebrew word that's very common in the Old Testament. It's only mentioned three times in the Old Testament. Uh, Nehumim. And it is, appears in Isaiah 57, 18. And Zechariah 1.13, now read this. It's only three times in the Old Testament. And it's right here. All my compassions are kindled in Hosea. And then in Isaiah 57.18, it says, I have seen his ways. Oh, I've seen his ways. I know what you've done. But I will heal him and restore comfort. That's the word to him and his mourners. Check out Zechariah 1.13. I will give them gracious Comforting, compassions, words, comforting words. And this is kind of how I see it. This is not a translation of the Bible. This is just me ranting. But this is what God is saying to Israel, and I think he's saying that to us in IAPY tonight, first day of class, 2023. He says this, You have told me to get lost. You rejected me. You don't want to listen. You want to do things your own way. I am undeterred, unfazed. I love you. I am here to comfort your future. Even in chaos, I will not give up on you. You may not understand me yet, but my heart is for you and is for your good. This is new hope for comfort. So tonight, we're going to sing one more song. I invite the worship team to come back up. You guys can have a seat if you want. Let's stand together. As the worship team comes up, let's think about this tonight. Come to Jesus for hope tonight. It's the first day of class. Very first day of class. My friend Crystal up here, I met her walking by the building out here. She came in. I'm so glad you came, Crystal. God bless you. She's a senior. She'll tell you all things to do. But come to Jesus tonight for hope. In chaos, for the rest of your life, and for the comfort that only He can give you. It isn't going to come from anywhere else. Change of scenery is not going to do it. Changing your major is not going to do it. Changing your girlfriend, boyfriend is not going to do it. 
Whatever's not going to do it. It's going to have to happen tonight. And God is pursuing you. So how would this semester turn out differently if we started to believe these passages from the Bible? What if we truly believe the statement that out of Egypt I have called my son? We could end this semester, think about this. We could end this semester in December when we're sitting back here in the night of worship. Our last night of worship of the semester is during finals week, so it's perfect, right? Um, we could sit here at the end. We could say, I am unscathed by my classes, by the drama that's surrounding me, that everybody else gets wrapped up in, and the madness of this world, and that's the epitome of stability. And Isaiah 7, 9 says, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. And that is what gets us out of the bed in the morning. Let's sing this last song.